Listener Production. Hi, I'm Amy Dale and I'm not a lawyer. But since working at the Law Society, I've met and worked with plenty of them. And I've also met countless people who need help understanding the law and, more importantly, knowing how to find the right lawyer. That's why we've created this podcast, to help make the law accessible for you, for me, for everyone. No jargon, no law speak, I promise. Just me diving into the most common legal problems to help you make the best decisions possible. Welcome to Lawfully Explained. Well, we've probably all received phone calls from people pretending to be a charity or pretending to be a bank, the ATO, or even Amazon. And we've seen stories and Netflix series about being swindled through dating online. But what exactly is swindling? What is fraud? And where does it become a crime? To answer all of my questions, I am joined by criminal law specialist, Andrew Teat. Andrew, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back again. I just want to start off by asking... What are some of the different types of fraud? So I'm thinking of like those phone calls you get in the afternoon of someone like pretending to be Amazon and trying to get a package from you or when the AFP apparently calls and tells you there's a warrant for your arrest. Are these all types of fraud? So there's really as many types of frauds as you have imagination. Anytime someone gets a benefit from someone else by deceiving them, generally speaking, that's a fraud. That includes telling them there's a warrant for their arrest. It includes false documents. It includes any way in which someone deceives someone else and gets a benefit as a result. What about being an imposter? So what if somebody calls me and they pretend to be a family member or something like that, like a prank call? Is a prank call fraud? No. So the, the, the key question in deciding whether something is a fraud generally is whether there was a dishonesty. So someone said something dishonest or lied or misled someone and whether that person is deceived by it. So a good example are those AFP calls that I think we all get sometimes. If Mm. someone says, I'm calling from the AFP, there's a warrant for your arrest. You need to go immediately transfer $10,000 to this account. (laughs) This person's being dishonest, obviously. The recipient is being deceived by what's happened. And then there's a benefit that flows. And as long as those three boxes are ticked, generally speaking, you have a fraud. And those are, I mean, for people when they receive them the first time, I mean, even if you, in your head, you think, oh, it seems a little bit dodgy. But for a lot of people, I mean, that would be a very terrifying prospect that you think, oh my God, what did I do? Absolutely. And people are defrauded by this kind of thing all the time. That's why these fraudsters do it. Um, A lot of people, whether it's inexperience or whatever it might be, are entirely deceived by these calls. They fly into a panic. They're usually told, don't talk to anyone, don't talk to a lawyer, don't tell a single person, just go to the bank and transfer the money and everything will be okay. Do you think there are any people that are particularly at risk of being preyed upon by people attempting to swindle or con or defraud them? Sure. I mean, there are people for whom the kind of things that raise red flags for me don't raise those kind of red flags. People who are permanently online, like me, are used to seeing this kind of scam spoken about, while someone who's unaccustomed to getting text messages might accept far more easily this kind of text message approach or email approach. People who speak English as a second language um, don't pick up the same linguistic things Someone who speaks English as a first language will pick up more easily. Just people who are inexperienced in dealing with this kind of stuff. Someone who deals with the ATO every day knows how the ATO communicate. Someone who deals with police every day knows how police communicate. Someone who hasn't had those experiences is far more vulnerable to being misled uh, by people making this kind of approach. What about older Australians? A- again, this comes back to being permanently online. Um, I'm used to dealing with stuff online. I know how stuff's meant to look. I mm. know how it's meant to sound. As someone who doesn't live in that world um, and doesn't pick up the same red flags is going to be far more vulnerable. 
Additionally, a lot of fraudsters do prey on older members of the population. They know often they're isolated. They know that they aren't as tech savvy. They understand the vulnerabilities of those people. And they also understand, in particular with older Australians, I find the shame that they feel afterwards mean that they're afraid to report it. They don't, want to, they don't want to tell their son that the $100,000 in super has been sent because someone fooled them into thinking uh, that the ATO had a warrant for their arrest. So it's a good reason, I suppose, to be keeping up with your parents or your grandparents and chatting to them and making sure that they feel able to talk to you about this kind of thing if it ever does come up. I suppose that's also a point to make to say that if if a friend or a family member, say an older an older family member, confides in you, a good and important lesson to know, to not be like, well, how could you let this happen? That's exactly right. And make sure that, you know, if it can happen to you, it can happen to anybody and to practice some kindness uh, and understanding to people if this happens. My experience tells me that notwithstanding what I just said about vulnerable Australians, um, people of every single demographic get fooled by the stuff. Whatever demographic you can think of, I can guarantee you someone in that group has been fooled by these kinds of scams. And the victims are, there are mothers, there are grandmothers, there are grandfathers, there are brothers, there are friends. Everyone's at risk of this kind of fraud because fraudsters are very clever and they know what they're doing and they know what buttons to press. So there's a a lot of value, I think, in talking to your family, trying to help people who are perhaps less tech savvy or less world savvy than you. So before coming on this show today, I'm sure that you probably did a whole score of legal research. So building on that, I'm going to ask you, have you seen the Tinder swindler on Netflix? I have. It's fabulous. <laughs> I really enjoyed watching that show. <laughs> Good to know you've done your homework ahead Absolutely. of the show today because <laughs> I am very interested in relationship fraud. And as a sort of quick recap of the show, the main character uses Tinder to create this Ponzi scheme where he then gets to jet around the world, ripping off all these girlfriends. I have to ask, was what the Tinder swindler did illegal? In Australia, Definitely. So again, to use the example I gave earlier, he was obviously being dishonest in saying various things to extract money from these girls. He clearly deceived them because they believed whatever it might have been, that he was in jail or that he was from the CIA, whatever story he used. And importantly, he received a benefit because they then transferred him money. So that ticks all the boxes in terms of fraud in New South Wales. Another one that I want to ask you about, and I've heard this term used a lot in many different contexts over the years, and that's the term catfishing. What is catfishing? So as I understand it, and I'm a legal expert, not a you know catfishing expert, <laughs> uh, but, but certainly catfishing is when you pretend to be someone that you're not online. Now, often people do it with a famous person. They pretend to be some sort of celebrity or they just pretend to be someone they're not. I'm, I'm in the CIA. I'm a spy. I'm whatever it might be with the goal to deceive a person for some sort of benefit. And is that illegal in New South Wales or in Australia? Not in and of itself. So just pretending to be someone that you're not isn't illegal. The important thing as far as fraud goes is whether there's a benefit that you get. So you don't commit an offence by going online and say, hey, I'm Chris Hemsworth, that, 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 you know, come talk to me, I'm great. <laughs> but as soon as you say, I'm Chris Hemsworth, I need 10 grand to pay my agent, <laughs> then you're committing a fraud because there's that benefit or an attempt to get a benefit that's flowing. Mm. Now, there are very specific offences you can commit. So for example, impersonating a police officer is an offence. Impersonating a Commonwealth government official, such as an ATO employee, that's an offence. But just in and of itself pretending to be someone else and even deceiving someone by saying that you are in the CIA, whatever it might be, that in and of itself isn't illegal. It's really when there's that benefit that's sought that we move into criminal offending. Because I would imagine if 
all forms of being saying that you were somebody that you're not were illegal. I mean, the courts would be chock-a-block with plenty of no, exactly. jilted partners being like, well, sold me a dud here. So. Yes, exactly. No, it, it, it's the benefit that's the key. Is there any debate around having an offence of catfishing? Uh, there always is. Um, there's been obviously a, an explosion in this kind of conduct over recent years. And a lot of people have made the not unreasonable point that this should be illegal. Of course, there's the balance of just because something gets made illegal doesn't mean you necessarily stop the conduct. And additionally, prosecuting someone is a large devotion of resources by the state. There are only so many police officers out there. There's only so many magistrates. There's only so many courthouses. And there's a balance between wanting to stamp out conduct that shouldn't occur and, on the other hand, prioritizing things that that cause the most harm. Now, where that lands is a question of politicians, I suppose. Mm. But certainly there's a lot of people who'd like to see catfishing made illegal. As a hypothetical, so if I were to meet somebody online, say on an app like Tinder, when it comes to entering into these sorts of romantic relationships and fraud, what are some of the red flags or what are some of my rights in that in terms of what I should expect to not happen to me? Um, Well, as far as rights goes, of course, you have the right to talk to who you want, engage with who you want, have any sort of relationship with whoever you want, generally speaking. Um, And no one should ever feel pressured to be involved in someone they don't want to be involved with. Certainly, if ever anyone is requiring that you keep things secret, if ever anyone is demanding that you send them money or send them property or looking for some sort of benefit from you, that's an immediate red flag. Now, the best thing I think you can do is have other people know what's going on. If there's some person that you're meeting, have someone else look at the messages, talk about what's going on. Before you send money or property to someone, speak to someone about it. Speak to your best friend, speak to your mother, speak to people that you know. Because often when someone looks from the outside, it can be very obvious there's a big problem here, a big red flag. Mm, And we all believe what we want to believe and we all want to think the best of people as well, particularly if we're romantically involved. And we all want to believe Chris Hemsworth really wants to be with us. (laughs) That's a natural human, the way we work as humans. But if someone external to it looks at it, often they can see things that are clearly a problem and give you advice. Even speaking to a lawyer and saying, hey, this person says they're in the AFP and they say there's a warrant for my arrest. Is that likely to be true? (laughs) Or just more generally, if someone's saying that they need 10 grand because they're stuck in some foreign country and need to get bailed out, chat to someone who knows, chat to a lawyer, chat to an experienced person you know, and they can help you maybe recognize whether there might be something you should be concerned about. I know you've already talked briefly about the legality of impersonating a famous person and saying, I'm Chris Hemsworth and, you know, my last movie was a bit, you know, a bit of a bomb and I need $10,000 to, you know, help a brother out with <laughs> with my paying my agent. And in the Tinder swindler, the bad guy sort of takes on the name of this famous diamond family. Mm. So if I were to say, set up like a Twitter account and I'm like, I'm Clive Palmer and it's just a friend and me, like, and we're just, you know, my friend and I are just bashing out a whole bunch of funny tweets and it, and it's in a public forum like that, and I don't sort of clarify in my Twitter bio that it's a parody, is that illegal? It's not a criminal offence. It's not a good idea in the sense that, just as an extreme example, if you're pretending to be Clive Palmer and then say that, lol, I'm a pedophile, first of all, not funny, but second of all, that is potentially defamatory. So anytime you're pretending to be someone else, you can affect their reputation. That's not a criminal offence, but it's probably something to be very careful about. But generally speaking, pretending to be someone that you're not isn't in and of itself illegal. It just is fraught with danger in many other ways, I suppose. Is there a line in online dating profiles about if I wanted to 
tweak my name or change some information about myself? Is there any line that I shouldn't be crossing if I am gilding the lily on my dating profile? That's a really hard question to answer. And the reason why is there aren't absolutes in this area. Certainly, you're not going to get prosecuted because you said you're six foot and really you're five foot 11. <laughs> um, there, there, there's no laws that can In heels, Andrew. Well, in heels. <laughs> I don't often wear heels, but you never know. There's no bright line between what's uh, an offense and not an offense. Certainly, again, lying online is generally a bad idea. But in extreme examples, um, you can even commit sexual assault if you've deceived the person into engaging in sexual intercourse with you. Now, that's a very complicated question for another day. Mm. Uh, but simply being, yielding the lily, to use your words, uh, in relation to an online dating profile isn't going to get anyone in any criminal trouble, I don't think. Again, because I would also imagine that if that were ever to be a hypothetical crime, the police would really just be inundated with people being like, uh, this guy's photo was at least 10 years old. Like, exactly, exactly. Who can I sue here? Exactly. In, in one of the examples that you were talking about, you were saying that, you know, if you, if you start sort of talking and chatting with someone online and they might mention, oh, I'm in a bit of a jam here and I need some money, can you help me out? If I have not taken your very sensible advice, which is to talk to a lawyer or a trusted friend or advisor about, about that before doing so, and I have transferred that money, and I now suspect that they're deceiving me, is legal action the first step I can take or is that even on the table? It certainly is a possibility. A good first step is to talk to a trusted friend, talk to a lawyer, get some advice and try to understand what's happened. Um, often in the throes of a situation, we can have our perceptions warped and not necessarily correctly understand everything that's gone on. So certainly getting advice, especially from a lawyer, is a good first step. It may well be that a criminal offence has been committed. So to use the example we've used a few times so far, if someone has said to you, I'm from the ATO, there's a warrant for your arrest, quickly pay your 30 grand tax bill, that is straight up and down a criminal offence. And that has happened. You should report it to the police and you should make a complaint about what's gone on. Now, whether police can do anything in terms of whether they can track down who it was that did this um, is another matter entirely. And of course, police resources are always very limited. So police do have to be selective about what kinds of matters they take on and prosecute. But if you believe you've been a victim of any kind of fraud, including this kind of online fraud, you should complain about it. Because even if your loss is small, it may be there's another 100 people out there, all of whom have been swindled, and more importantly, I suppose, someone who's continuing to do this kind of thing. So generally speaking, complaining to police about a criminal offence committed against you is always what you should do. If I have given money to someone and that's come from my bank account, so it's not like a credit card where I could tell the credit card company and I have transferred that from my bank account and I now know that they've deceived me in getting this money, will I get my money back or have I lost it forever? Probably not is the answer. Um, I know there are certain things that can sometimes be done. So as one small example, if the money's been transferred to another Australian bank account, those accounts can be frozen by lawyers making an application to the court. So things can be done. If you suspect you've been defrauded, the best thing to do is to urgently speak to police and potentially to a lawyer because, of course, the longer you wait, the more chance there is the money flows out of the account, at an ATM, and then disappears forever. What about if I've been swindled by someone who I now believe lives overseas? It gets exponentially more difficult. So... Police can charge someone who lives overseas. Uh, police can seek extradition of people from foreign countries. People can get brought on airplanes from foreign countries, Christopher Skay style, to Australia to be prosecuted. It is very difficult. It is very expensive. It requires huge resources. So whilst it can be done, it's much more challenging than if they live three doors down. Again, you should complain to police and speak to a lawyer and see what can be done. 
But yes, once they're overseas or if they're overseas, it, it's way more difficult, unfortunately. And one of the examples that you gave there with Christopher Scase, which is a very high profile example, and people have obviously seen media reports over the years of very high profile cases where people are brought back to Australia to face court. But I suppose that is just an example of, you know, it is, they're almost high profile in a way because it's also very rare and very difficult to bring people back to Australia to face charges. Unfortunately, police have to make judgments as to what the best use of their resources is. And if they can prosecute 10 people locally or devote the same resources trying to get one person back from some foreign country, they'll go for the 10 people locally as likely as not. That's understandable. Resources are limited and police need to, and our, our government generally needs to use its resources where it's most effective. And some of the examples I've been using with you so far are ones that I suppose have been more in a a playful sense about sort of lower stakes in terms of people on Twitter and and those sorts of things. But obviously these sorts of crimes and and sort of frauds, they do do happen to people. They can be incredibly heartbreaking and upsetting and can really leave people in quite an awful position. And how often do things like this happen? I imagine this happens a lot more than people think it does. It happens all the time. There's research that's available online that speaks about the number of people affected just by identity fraud, let alone the broader category of swindling that we've talked about. It affects hundreds of thousands of people every year. Fairly obvious frauds are fairly obvious to most people, uh, but people are often far more effective. They're always finding new ways in which to deceive people and trick them into parting with their cash. Mm-hmm. And it, it does, it destroys lives. People lose their super, people lose their homes people end up in absolute mountains of debt. It does destroy lives. There's, there's nothing, no laughing about it, I suppose. And also, hindsight's a very powerful thing. Mm. So in a lot of cases that once this sort of lie and scam has unraveled, all of a sudden you can go back and think, oh, like this and this and this. But when you're in the moment of something, people are incredibly convincing. And also, as humans with good nature, we want to believe the best of people. So how can people feel supported in in sort of reporting these sorts of things when they happen to them? I suppose the first thing to say is that many hundreds of thousands of people every year do fall victim to these scams. And especially romance scams in the moment, it can be impossible almost to recognize all those red flags that to an outsider are really obvious. So just having been a victim of one of these scams says nothing about a person, simply means that someone very clever fooled you into doing something you didn't want to do. This isn't some sort of prank in a school playground. These people are committing fraud and often taking thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars. Um, it is a an industry of, of fooling people and getting them to part with their cash. What if someone hasn't taken money from, from me, but their behavior, you know, it's broken my heart. It's really affected my life. It's left me with sort of lasting impacts. Is there any recourse I can take? Unfortunately, not really. Um, The same principle applies if your boyfriend in in real life breaks your heart. Um, The same principle applies online. Um, Broken hearts are awful. Um, Relationships ending is traumatic for everyone. Uh, But we don't yet prosecute ex-partners for being mean (laughs) to us, unfortunately. Uh, So that kind of scam where it's just a romance thing and hearts get broken, that's awful and and devastating for many people. Uh, But there's no criminal offense for breaking someone's heart. Yeah, for being terrible in a relationship. Yes. If I suspect that someone is doing something wrong, like having a fake dating profile, and I think, mm, hang on, like I'm, I'm a wake up to you, I'm going to get you, and I then sort of create a fake profile to try to dupe them. And you sometimes see on like social media, I think on like TikTok and, and other platforms, there's almost this way where people kind of try and draw someone out when they think that they've done something wrong or that they're not being who they say they are. 
if I then create a fake profile to dupe and try and catch them out, could I be in trouble for doing that? Not just for creating a fake profile. I'm certainly trying to scam them back is probably a criminal offence and a very bad idea. <laughs> um, but if you believe someone's committed a criminal offence, you should complain about it. If you believe someone is duping people, you should tell the people that are being duped. Probably trying to scam them back is going to create more problems than it solves, I think. There's no legal doctrine of two wrongs make a right. No, not, not yet. I'm working on it. But not yet. <laughs> As a lawyer, are there what are some tips that you've got for people to avoid getting into these sorts of predicaments? And I suppose what would be the one piece of advice that you would give people who do find themselves in a situation where they've been swindled? Sure. There's, there's a few red flags to watch out for. Anyone who's telling you to do something and not tell anyone else is a big red flag. Someone contacting you out of the blue is always a big red flag. I get messages on my phone saying, and I've, I've just come back to Australia. Wouldn't like, you like to meet up? But I've never seen them before. Mm. That's probably, it might be a real person, but it's probably <laughs> not. I get messages from Amazon saying, uh, we've got your package, but I haven't ordered anything from Amazon. So if you just stop and think for a second, hang on, does this kind of contact make sense? Um, it, the AFP are saying I have a tax debt. Do the AFP take, chase up tax debts? Probably not. That's not to say you should ignore any communication or be completely cynical about everything. But there's a lot of merit in just stopping and thinking. And if you're not sure, ask someone. I received a very panicked voicemail message from a friend a few years ago saying he's got the ATO phone message saying there's a warrant for my arrest. He did the sensible thing. He spoke to his friend who happens to be a lawyer. And um, I quickly said, no, 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 you did the right thing to call. That's not real. Don't worry about it. You should ask someone. You should talk to people. If it sounds dodgy, it probably is. If you're not sure whether it's legit, there's a fair chance it's not. Talk to someone. Talk to a friend. Talk to a lawyer. Talk to the police and get some advice. Mm. Um, get someone who's separated from it, who can step back and say, well, hang on, I understand where you're at, but what about A, B, C, D, and E? Why don't you take the ATO example? If the ATO call you and say there's a tax debt, why don't you call the ATO hotline directly and speak to them directly and say, hey, is this text message legit? And they'll probably say no. The best advice I can give someone is to just stop and think, take a beat, speak to someone and see if what someone's saying to you stacks up. Because it's so easy to, in the moment, in a panic, fair enough, just dive in and do what you think needs to be done. And I also imagine if someone went to a lawyer to ask for advice in a situation where they may have transferred money, I can imagine that it would be very comforting to get advice about what your options are, but also have someone, I suppose, affirm that what happened to you was wrong mm. and that it's not it's not your fault and that people feeling shame about these sorts of things is completely misplaced. Like the shame and the fault should not be with the person who this happened to. It should be with the people who are perpetrating these this sort of bad behaviour. Being a victim of a criminal offence, no matter what kind of offence you're talking about, is nothing to be ashamed about. People are victims every day of the week. The best thing you can do if it is has happened to you is to report it and to get the help you can get, whatever that might be, whether it's legal help to get the money back or psychological help to deal with the trauma, whatever it might be. Um, there certainly is nothing to be ashamed about. Well, Andrew, we might have started by talking about the Tinder swindler, but you have taken us through a number of examples and shown the ways that this can really happen to more people than you might think. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. What you heard in today's episode is not intended as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified professional. I'm not even a lawyer, remember? So if you are looking for legal advice based on your individual circumstances, head to lawfullyexplained.com.au and find the solicitor who is right for you. Lawfully Explained is a listener production in partnership with the Law Society of New South Wales. 
hosted by me, Amy Dale. Production by Emily Takato, audio production by Mitch Calladine, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.